Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. Well, it is great to be back with you tonight. I took a week off and actually celebrated my birthday. I did, you know, practice a lot of social distancing and As responsibly as I possibly could, I had seven women and my husband, and we all hung out at our new place in Naples and just enjoyed the town, you know, enjoyed the new place. Went to a special island, a private island of ours, and not ours personally, it's the condo association, and I mean, we just made it our own, enjoyed the fresh air, sat six feet apart, Um, although we had plenty of um, ocean pictures where we were pretty close together swimming the seas. It was a blast, but I am super happy to be back with you today. And I tell you, one of the things about turning 65 is that everybody tells you you don't act or look 65. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't think they're Josh and me. I think they're telling me the truth because I don't. I don't look it. I don't act. Um, and I really believe that whenever you're working in the field of sex addiction, whenever you're in recovery from sex addiction, whenever you're working diligently on your life, you have a lot of energy to give back. And it's all about that third step. You know, Patrick Karn said it, right? You probably could repeat it with me. Suffering causes great transformation, and that results in giving back. And so Marnie Breaker and I are actually hosting um, an empathy workshop, Help Her Heal. It's 
it's based on my book, but it's not. You know, Marnie has a wonderful podcast called Helping Couples Heal. She does that with Dwayne Oslin. And so we're going to be doing this workshop uh, December 4th. And it's from 9 to 3 Pacific Standard Time. I always have trouble with that because I'm Eastern myself. And you can be a single person coming in, you know, and or a couple. But you get $50 off the early bird special. And so if you are interested in taking a look at that workshop, you can contact Meredith, Meredith M. at www.lacrh.com. And Meredith will give you all the information about this workshop and other wonderful things that um, Marnie is doing. And I'm just really excited to be getting to work with her. And I think we're going to be a, an incredible team, if you will. You can also email Meredith, and that's M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H at L-A-C-R-H dot com. Um, or if you just email me at carol at carolthecoach.com, I'll send you a flyer with all that information. I'd be happy to help you. So uh, Marnie runs the Center for Relational Healing, C-H-R, and we would really like to make this special. It's all virtual, of course. And again, that's December 4th from 9 to 3, Pacific Standard Time, 11 to 7, <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we're looking forward to doing some interactive stuff. And really, it's like we're going to be your own personal therapist helping you with whatever issues you're struggling with as a couple or as a single person that wants to get back on the bandwagon and and maybe make a difference in a relationship some way, somehow. So that's a little bit about that, and I uh, hope to see you there. And tonight, it's interesting because I had a fellow CSAT that introduced me to Nick Stumbo. And Nick is the executive director of Pure Desire Ministries out of Oregon. And he was the lead pastor at East Hills Alliance Church, in Washington. He's written several books, and I I just like his style. Um, I had one of his colleagues on my other podcast a few weeks ago, and Nick has written uh, Setting Us Free and Safe, Creating a Culture of Grace in a Climate Shame, and that's aimed at, at men and women who are in the church and honor God and they do that through healthy sexuality and freedom. And so I wanted him to come on and talk about his life. He has his own personal story. And I really feel like that story is inspirational. And then he's going to talk about what he's doing through uh, Pure Desire. It's an organization I really think does wonderful work. And so I am ever uh, so excited to be interviewing him today. And, you know, one of the things that I absolutely know is that it's important to let other people know when you believe that a program has some real fundamentals that 
help people stay in recovery, maintain recovery, and especially um, replace old behaviors with new, healthy, outside circle behaviors. So I'm, I'm always up for that. And, you know, one of the things that I believe, and I've known it forever and ever and ever, is that this is the toughest addiction in the world to beat. And to do that, you have to step out of that shame cycle. And so that means you just, you got to, you know, know that you can be open and you got to know that, yeah, there was a period of time when you were broken. But with humility, you can get through this and help other people. And so I believe that sex addicts, in good recovery are actually healthier than healthier than 95% of all people out there. That's the good news. For any partners listening, if your spouse gets into really solid recovery, he or she can have the best life ever. And then you get to decide if you're going to come along. You know, I was working with a woman, well, a couple earlier last week, and one of the things that I knew is that she's really having trouble. She's having trouble because he's now in good recovery, but she doesn't like her life. She doesn't like who she is. She doesn't like how she shows up. She doesn't like what she has to think about. And in some way, she feels like this addiction has contaminated every single thing about her. And what I know to be true is that it can feel like a contamination, but we all to really look at what obstacles or challenges in our life can we turn around and make them into possibilities to love ourselves more, to help other people. You know, it's all an attitudinal change. So when I had a woman today that said to me, I'm a hot mess, and I know that. I said, you know, how is that working for you, for you to call yourself a hot mess? And she said, I can't do anything else. And I said, no, today you're choosing not to, but at any point you can at least change your language because language changes attitudes. Now here's the deal. It is a very difficult thing to do if you're really anxious or you're really depressed or you're really um, smothered in shame and guilt. Practice speaking with confidence and owning your own personal strength. I promise you that eventually that will fit. And that's when you have more energy to do the kinds of things that you need to do. And that's what's so important in life is that You know, not what happened to you. It's not some of the poor decisions you've made. It is what you've learned as a result. Now, as I said before, Nick Stumbo, and I hope I'm saying his name right, since we've never personally got to meet him, I'm going to have to check that out. He is the executive director of Pure Desire Ministries out of Oregon, and he's co-authored a couple of books, and I want to talk to him about both books. And I want to find out what his story is 
and how it contributed to where he's at today and, and where he wants to go. So I'm going to welcome Nick to the show and to say to him, hey, Nick, I'm really, really glad to have you on because I've wanted to know more about your organization and about the work you've done for a long, long time. So welcome to Sex Health with Carol the Coach. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, and I'm excited to share some of my story tonight. I know, and certainly a story it is. Can you tell our listening audience a little bit about you and, you know, what it was like um, to walk your journey and how it's morphed into what you're doing today? Yeah, I'd be glad to. And by the way, you're saying it right. It is Stumbo. Rhymes with Dumbo and heard that enough times as a kid that I just own it. And (laughs) most of our kids at this point own a Dumbo stuffed animal of one kind or another. (laughs) So very good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, my story, I grew up in a great Christian home. You know, dad is a pastor, actually a second generation pastor. And we had a loving environment. Um, the, the kind of pastor's family that was not, you know, one way at church and different at home. There was great consistency between the dad I saw in the pulpit and in the home and loving and kind. And, and yet in our home, like most Christian homes, uh, sexuality was just something that was very taboo. Um, I had the one birds and bees talk with my dad when I was maybe 10, 11 years old. And I'm I'm glad we had that. It was helpful and informational, but it, it didn't necessarily prepare me for what I would face in the world as a teenage boy and encountering pornography the way many do at a friend's house and on a sports bus trip and not even necessarily ways I was seeking out, but ways that it came into my world. And I immediately felt two things about it. It felt secretive because it wasn't something I knew how to talk about with my parents. And it also felt shameful because it felt like something I didn't want or shouldn't be doing and yet with it, there was this draw. And I think the secret and the shamefulness and the draw of it all kind of work together to pack that punch uh, where for men and women, it can become a, a very addictive behavior. And, and so for me, I tell people in my story, every single time I struggled was going to be the last time because I, I truly wanted to follow Christ with my life. I felt called to ministry. And, you know, I was, I was convinced that this was just a battle that young men faced. And as I grew and matured and got married and and, and I didn't believe marriage would fix it, but I, I just believed there would be a maturing in my life that I would this would drop off because I was working so hard to do the right thing and um, confessed it on a number of occasions to ask people to pray for me and be healed. And you know, it really, I believed it everything the church had taught me to do to deal with sin in my life. And yet it was still happening every month or a couple of months where I would find myself back in that shameful binge purge cycle with pornography and that continued into my marriage uh, and into ministry Um, and and as I said every time was going to be the last time and so with the hope of integrity I could confess to my wife and say I'm sorry it happened again and and here's all the things I'm going to change so you can trust me and know that it'll be better and yet uh, truly for those years of our marriage I was not worthy of her trust because I really didn't know how to change uh, other than to keep trying harder and uh after 10 years, we had really kind of come to that breaking point where I had made enough promises that it was going to change that I'd broken enough times that she was really ready to be done. Not because she, she hated me, but because she didn't know if this was ever going to change and she hated the way that it made her feel. And 
So that was actually in the middle of my being a, a young senior pastor at the age of 30. We had three great, you know, beautiful young kids. I was from the outside, everything just looked perfect. I coached the local high school cross country team and, and we presented very well, but what no one would have known was how near we were to separation and perhaps divorce over this unresolved issue of pornography in my life. And that was where in 2010, um, by God's mercy and the wisdom of people in my denomination, we were introduced to pure desire and a process of healing through our denomination. That is really where my connection to pure desire started. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but that's kind of the backstory, you know, growing up in a great home, marry a great wife, do everything right, and yet still struggle and then feel like it must be me. I must be the problem because everyone else seems to have it figured out what's wrong with me. And, and of course, that just adds to the shameful cycle. And so we, uh, we were really rescued, in a sense, by our introduction to pure desire. And then that's become really our message over these last 10 years as we've walked in healing and freedom and been able to help so many other couples. Well, before you, before you were exposed to pure desire, what would you say was the longest amount of time you were able to go porn-free? Oh, honestly speaking, I, I probably congratulated myself at the three- or four-month mark, thinking, oh, and, and this is what's so common I find in people's stories, that once we hit you know, a month, two months, we feel like, man, I, I think I've got it, because last time was the last time, and we we would say that was such a belief that we believed it ourselves. I believed it myself. And, but probably four months was the, the longest I'd ever sustained without um, falling back into it. Uh, and then in our marriage, I knew at year nine, we were hitting, we were hitting some, you know, we needed to make some change or it was going to break. And, and I made some commitments in that year, like, okay, and here's all the things I'll change. And, the very typical response of just build the wall so high that I'll never struggle again. And I think I made it six months believing that if I struggled again, my marriage would end. And that, that to me is what is so frightening looking back and what gives me a heart for men and women who struggle is I know exactly what it's like to make the ultimate promises, knowing that you could lose everything. And yet still in a time of weakness and emotional lowness, go back to that very thing. And um, that can be a very, very heartbreaking story for sure. Well, I just wondered because clearly there, this illness, disorder, um, problematic behavior typically gets worse and worse and worse. And so it can only get better if there's an intervention that has many, many substitutes in it. And yep. it sounds like with pure desire, you found those substitutes. So share a little bit about that program and what your wife thought about the pure desire ministry yeah well it was it was pretty humorous the way we were introduced because we went to a conference for pastors and normally my wife couldn't attend those with me as a young mom but she happened to be at that one and we heard together a message from dr ted roberts and pure desire and our denomination said so if you're a pastor who struggled and and does struggle we want to help you and we want to do what we can within reason to keep you in ministry and and as i look back it was a ready-made perfect plan for us but i was so thick in my own denial that i sat there thinking man this is a great program for someone else you know i hope those who really struggle are listening to this because i i had in mind someone that was a step beyond where i was 
But I looked over at my wife and she knew immediately, like, this is the answer to my prayers because she felt no hope. She didn't know what to do either. And here was someone saying there's hope. And uh, so she was far more eager to begin the process than I was. Um, she knew we needed the help and wasn't living in the, the denial that I had convinced myself of for so many years. So I think she went in with a lot of excitement and I went in with a lot of skepticism. And, um, you know, I grew up in an environment where Christian counseling was for the extremes. I mean, if you needed counseling, you were you were really at the bottom of the barrel. And I didn't think that was me. And so it was it was crucial for us early on for me to work through and to have those denial and rationalization structures really challenged by experts in in this area that knew enough they'd seen and heard it enough that they were able to challenge those structures and really to invite us into a process not only of you know effective tools because we learned a, a lot of tools but also into community and that was maybe the biggest difference that for 15 years of fighting this I had essentially fought on my own or tried to win on my own and then I would confess to others when I had messed up but the peer desire process got me into a group for men who struggled, my wife into a group for wives who were feeling betrayed and had lost trust. And as we walked through with other people that were going through that same process, there was incredible healing that came from being able to tell our whole story with other people and have them still love and affirm us and walk that process with us. And so that's what I look back as really the difference makers, um, the community that we got involved in, the tools we were given, and and really the the paradigm shift that I had seen pornography as the problem. And I thought, well, if I could just fix this problem, I'm pretty much doing well. But what we learned very quickly was that pornography was only the symptom of much deeper problems in my life. Things like how I found my value and performance, finding my identity and success and people pleasing. And when those things wouldn't be enough for me, which they never are for anyone, pornography would become the cheap substitute to provide an immediate relief to the, the pain and frustration. And so once we saw the bigger picture at work and I was able to, to face some of those deeper issues, that was like uh, addressing the engine driving the behavior. And that's where I feel we really began to address change because we were getting to the source of the problem and not just dealing with the outcomes. Well, absolutely. And so again, if you would go over, um, the, the issues that weren't about trauma per se, they weren't about molestation or um, physical or sexual or emotional abuse, but they were the, the kind of pressures you put on yourself. You said one was kind of a performance anxiety. You always were driven to want to, want to do better, and you never felt good enough as you were. And what else? Uh, just being a people pleaser and finding that as a sense of value, how many people liked me, approved of me, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I, you and know, so, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, I, I look at it now and see these were many things connected to my family of origin and to some of my natural drive and desire that I – I wanted to be successful at sports like my dad had been and my sister had been, and, and I would try very hard to perform well and be the star athlete, and, and yet it seemed like in my story I was always, uh, I, you know, I was good enough to make the team but not be the star. I, I got to play on the football team, but I dropped the big catch. I, and that story over and over where I would feel like, um, honestly, that I I disappointed my dad and my family name. And, and I don't ever remember, and I don't think he ever did. I don't think my dad ever said, you're not good enough. 
but the nature of our relationship and how much he prized success in sports would often leave me internalizing this message of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And the lie of pornography is that in a fantasy world, I could emotionally feel good enough, even if it was only for a few moments and followed by a truckload of guilt and regret and shame of why did I do that again? The the brain learns from those messages of here's relief because I felt like I was good enough and all those voices quieted down. And so it, it really was about looking into some of my family history, looking into the relationship I had with my dad. And you're right, there there was not emotional, physical abuse of any kind. But what I tell people, like when I speak at churches and conferences, I'll say, you know, I'll ask, hey, raise a hand if you were raised by Jesus. You know, of course, everyone kind of snickers. And I, I haven't had anyone brave enough to raise their hand yet. Uh, but I'll say, great, because that means we were all raised by sinners. And I know we love our moms and our dads, but if if they were sinners, that means in some ways their sinfulness impacted us. And where their sinfulness meets our neediness, because as humans, we're all needy. We're all looking for something from other people. And when their sinfulness met our neediness, it created in all of us brokenness. And that brokenness becomes the soil or the avenue through which the enemy does his work and, and brings us into addictive behavior, whether it's pornography or money or eating or a host of other things. So it, it's, it was in that kind of realization that it was just um, eye-opening to see how much could change once there was an awareness of what was going on. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, you know. And certainly as people listen to your story, I'm sure they can relate to the fact that, you know, there is that openness and brokenness when you really believe that you're not good enough. And so you used pornography somewhat as a medication to distract you from those anxieties and feelings, correct? Yeah, I would say very much so, although the danger was at the time, as I'm in it, I could not see those things, and I, I could not make those connections. And and that's so common where we okay. feel like, well, I'm, I'm just a guy, I've got hormones and eyeballs and, and desires and doesn't everybody, but what I brought up, and in fact, I protested to my counselor, I said, I, I, I'm just a guy that, you know, is drawn to pretty women, That's that's my issue. And And the counselor said, well, if that's all it was, in your integrity, you would have been able to stop the behavior. But the fact that you continue mm-hmm. to go back to something that you don't want to do indicates there's deeper things driving you that have got a hook into your life. And so um, that was really a game changer to begin to recognize that. Okay, so that was the game changer. And obviously, you, you had strong resources. Uh, Pure Desire is a strong program. Uh, and, and what did it offer you? Did you do group therapy? Did you do any individual? Did you meet with Ted Roberts? Did you meet with one of his consultants? How did you do that? Uh, yeah, so the the plan for us, and Pure Desire still has something similar to this day, is it's a 12-month commitment. And in that 12 months, being in group for myself and my wife in her group, and then we would meet every other week with a counselor um, and then I was also meeting, I, I got the full meal deal back 10 years ago. We don't quite do it to this extent, but then I would also meet every other week with a counselor just for me. Um, and I think that was revolutionary for us and, and is for so many couples that Pure Desire for many, many years has counseled couples as couples. So my wife and I, every other, uh, actually once a month, we were with Ted and Diane Roberts uh, for our sessions. And so Ted is there to 
you know, counsel and guide me. And Diane was there to guide and counsel my wife. And much of that was done together. But then at times we'd break off into, you know, his and her rooms and Ted could get direct into my issues and Diane could work with my wife. And for both of us to have someone that we felt like understood us as a man, as a woman, um, I think was really helpful. And, And through that year, really not only helped me address my behavior, but also brought us to addressing so many of the issues that had developed in our marriage. Some of them related to my struggle and some of them that were just part of married life and the struggles that we all have. So yeah, that was the essential context, the the weekly group that we were in. And then every other week doing counseling, usually as a couple, but then sometimes I'd have sessions on my own. Okay, and and so one of the things that I really appreciate about this program is that there is no shaming. And I know that you actually, at some point, wrote Culture of Grace and a Climate Change. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, Setting Us Free and Safe? What was that like? Why did you write it? Yeah, so my first book was Setting Us Free, and I felt like, I needed to write that story for myself more than anyone because every you know month, every year you get away from your original story, the more you kind of forget some of the big aha moments. And so I wanted to just reflect on our journey. And then also I, I tell people I was very skeptical going into this process. And so I needed to see where this healing pathway was revealed in scripture. And so the second part of every chapter is talking about recovery in God's word and where is this biblical And then the third part of every chapter is to apply it to everyone, because I felt like in my experience, not only was it healing for me, but if anyone had a struggle in their life, they felt like they hadn't been able to change, where they felt trapped or in bondage, and they'd been asking for God to set them free, what did that look like? And so that's the first book. It's more of our story. It's then God's word and then application for everyone. And uh, the, the second book, Safe, was really looking at the the culture of churches in particular, but in many ways the home is a microcosm of that. The the way we often try to deal with these negative behaviors and sins is um, kind of uh, discipline and punish it out of us. Like if I know how bad it is and if I really, really, I really am sorry this time and I'm promising never to do those bad things again, it will go away. And what inadvertently comes with that is that message of shame that communicates to us there's something wrong with me. The reason I do this is because there's something wrong with me. And the the danger of that is we can deal with the behaviors and not touch that shame message because at the end of the day, maybe the behavior has quote-unquote stopped for now, but if inside we're still carrying a message that says, but there's something wrong with me, we're going to end up either back in that behavior or in another one because we'll, we'll be looking for an answer to that question of, how can I be good enough? How can I get over this feeling that, that I'm a bad person? And so uh, writing the book Safe about a culture of grace was just talking about how do we change that culture in the church and in the home to be safe places that people can recognize their brokenness, yes, as sin, yes, as behaviors we need to take ownership for and be responsible for, but at the same time to not see it as a byproduct of how bad we are to see that we have been made in God's image, we've been made anew in Christ Jesus, if, if we're a person of faith, um, that, that inherently in our humanity there's, there's goodness about us, and it gives us the freedom to then look um, in kind of a different angle at our own lives and say, okay, why is it I do the things I don't want to do? Where are these behaviors coming from? What are they connected to? Because it's, it's not just that I'm a, a bad person and I have to get the bad out of me, 
It's about understanding and recognizing what's driving this. And I really believe that can only happen in a culture of grace where we feel free to reveal everything about us, reveal all the stuff we're dealing with, and allow people to help us in that process of, of really working towards lasting change, not just stopping a behavior. So that that's the second book. It's more, um, I'd say, broader in terms of we want to create a culture of grace in general, so less specific to the journey out of pornography, but um, obviously very, very connected as it, again, comes out of our story. And honestly, what we saw happen in our church, because as I finished our process, we shared with our congregation, and I did a public disclosure where I apologized to my church for struggling. I asked for their forgiveness, and then I asked for their help to start groups because I knew I wasn't the only person who struggled. And that really became, for our church culture, a watershed moment, because if the pastor can stand up front and he can say, I've been addicted to pornography and I've been getting help, suddenly it's permissible for everybody else to talk about their stuff too. And, and it just created this revolution of grace in our church that really led to healing for so many people because they didn't feel the need to hide their stuff or act like they were better than they were. There was a new freedom to be real and to deal with our stuff together um, as a community. But how did you get the courage to take the risk a, to be honest like that, and, and more importantly, how did you know that it would be safe? You know, so many people, they want to reach out, but they don't know who's safe and who isn't, who will shame them and who won't. I mean, churches are notorious for firing you and for firing your wife and for shaming you, and they don't yeah. mean to. They just believe yeah. that, that they have to set an example for bad behavior. Yep. Yeah, and what what does that example communicate to everyone else in the church, <laughs> right? It says, well, if you struggle with this, talk, better not tell anybody. Tell, yeah, because look what happened to our pastor. And if man, if they knew what I was doing, I'd be out of here in a hurry. So, yeah, I, I think that courage, um, and I, I appreciate you calling it courage. I, I think at the time I was just being obedient to do what I felt was the next right thing to do. And um, it, it was towards the end of our counseling process that Dr. Ted Roberts said to me, said, you're ready. And I was like, okay, ready for what? And he said, ready to share your story with your church. And I said, no, I'm not. Because <laughs> my plan was still just to fix this, fix my marriage, you know, move on. And, and he said, Nick, part of your healing is to pass it on to others. Part of coming full circle isn't just to get better and then ignore it, but it's to get better and then share that with others. He said, do you think you're the only man in your church that struggles? And I'm like, well, no, I mean, I'm sure if I struggled, there's many, many men. And he said, so how much could your story impact them? And so we were experiencing such freedom. I mean, our marriage was totally, in fact, we'd had people during the year kind of say, what's different about you guys? What is happening in your lives? Because it, it feels like something is changing. And we didn't always have the freedom to go into that story prior to that, but people were noticing and, and we were experiencing such change that we wanted to share it and not keep it to ourselves. Um, and at the same time, a critical piece that I know not everybody has, because I was introduced to this process with and through my denomination, I knew going into it that I had their support. In fact, my district superintendent, who within our denomination was my boss, was present at that church service when I did disclosure. And he was the first person that got up afterward to say, we want you to know that Nick did this with our blessing, that the elders are with him. We believe in Nick. We believe in the change in his life. And, and we believe in the ministry that they want to start to help other people. And so it, it just kind of doubled down on that message that it's okay not to be okay. 
because we want God to help us and to heal our brokenness. Um, and, and the elders, because of that process and the district support, they had been aware of it. In fact, going into the counseling, they helped my wife and I um, uh, pay for part of it because they believed so much in that process as well. And so that's really where I try to encourage churches to focus on changes really through their leadership and even their elder board to talk about what kind of environment do we want to create for our leaders? Do we want an environment where they feel like they have to be perfect or they lose their job? Or do we want an environment where we believe this person is called to lead and called to serve, but yet still a human being, you know, a human being with flaws and imperfections and, and is the posture of the church to help that leader grow and mature and become more the person God called them to be? Or is the church going to stay in that performance culture of just firing them when their imperfections come to light? And I, I try to say, because if that's our posture, we'll probably end up firing the majority of pastors we hire if, if we know their whole story. It'll just be a question of how well are they at hiding their sin, because becoming a pastor doesn't make you exempt from sin. Now, having said that, I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners might be thinking in their minds, well, whoa, whoa, time out. You know, there's, there's, there's got to be parameters to that, and there's boundaries. And, and I'd say yes, there, there definitely are behaviors where the, the necessity, I mean, the, the extreme or the nature of the behavior necessitates that a change be made or that a minimum there be a time away from ministry. So that was in our story. I knew that if my story included something illegal or something where there had been physical, a relationship with another person, that I, I would need to, to leave my job. So I, I think we, we can still have healthy boundaries, much like any workplace would say that, hey, if, if you're caught up in certain things, you really leave us no choice but to make a change. But if we're honest, within the church and ministries, there is so much behavior that is with you know within what can be helped and redeemed that I think we need to start leading with that message to say our posture is to help as much and as often as possible and only when it gets to a certain level do we have to then start talking about removing you or firing you and so I, I think you're right the flip side is true in most churches the feeling is well I'll get fired if I bring it up and so I'll just figure it out on my own and yet being stuck in it on your own is the very thing that keeps you trapped. So it's a real double bind for our leaders. And I hope and I wish and I pray that the church would see this and transition their culture and their leadership teams to being culture of grace so that their leaders could get healthy and not live in that performance mode. Well, absolutely. And again, if you're tuning in late, I wanted to tell you that I'm talking with Nick Stumbo, who wrote a couple of different books, but his first book was Setting Us Free and Safe, Creating a Culture of Grace and a Climate Shame. And then, Nick, what was your second book? Uh, that was, sorry, that is two books. Uh, Setting Us Free is the first book, and Safe, A Culture of Grace is the second book. Got it. So Setting Us Free is about your story. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, our story and, and then, then where we safe, saw that in God's word. Okay. And then safe, creating a culture of grace and a climate shame is really about the evolution of how you got, uh, how you were accepted and how you moved forward and how you helped others. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, really how you can change a church culture from being shame-based or performance-based, uh, how you could change a home or a small group to being a really grace-based environment. So, yep. Yeah. You well, got it. And, you know, I have to imagine that having Ted Roberts tell you, you are ready. You are ready to give back. You're ready to tell your story. You're ready to make a difference. 
was quite the endorsement. It gave you that extra boost of confidence. And then to have people in the church, elders and deacons, really support you um, made all the difference in the world. Can you just share with my listening audience, if, if they wanted to do something like this, I know that you would not say, yes, jump right into it. You'd, you'd expect them to have their safety plan in place. What would you tell them to do? Well, as, as you know, everyone's on a, a spectrum of how they're dealing with this behavior, how long they've been struggling, how, you know, how deep, how much. Um, we really encourage that for, for people that entrance into some kind of safe, confidential community of people of the same gender, where they can start to tell their whole story is, is absolutely crucial. Um, one of the tools that we're recommending a lot is a, an eight-week video series we put out called Sexual Integrity 101. And that can be streamed or watched on DVD, but it can allow a person or a small group or a couple to understand sexual addiction, to understand the natures that drive it and what freedom and lasting change looks like. And then kind of make some discerning decisions about what's next for us. And for many people, if, if they've been struggling or are on the wounded, betrayed side of a relationship, um, being in a longer group will be the next step for them. And so we have our group resources for men is Seven Pillars of Freedom. Uh, for women, we have Betrayal and Beyond. And then for women who struggle, we have a workbook series called Unraveled as they deal with their own sexuality and relationship questions. And, and really that to me, that group environment is the easiest access point because in terms of cost, if you're doing it in your local church with a, a small group of friends, it's just the workbook itself. Uh, but for so many people, they don't have a group around them that's running or a church that has started these groups. So we also have online groups at Pure Desire where people can begin going through the group process and, and find that safe, supportive community. Uh, those groups do have a, a little cost because the leader is compensated for their time. They're not just volunteer-led, but that also, um, from our side, assures that they have a good quality leader in the room. So for me, I, I always start with kind of those resources of the Sexual Integrity 101 video course and group resources. At, at the same time, you know, we really encourage people to become educated in this area. You know, I'm sure you know, Carol, that for so many people, because they grew up in environments where sex was taboo, uh, they maybe didn't go much beyond the sex ed training in their school. It, it just is an unaddressed area of our lives that we don't have good wisdom and equipping on. And so that's why, like Pure Desire and, and many other valuable groups are putting out content just to help people understand the battle they're facing. You know, we do a weekly podcast and weekly blogs and, you know, you pick up a book. So if you're kind of if a listener is on that front end and they're like, boy, should I just dive right into counseling? You know, typically those that need to dive right into counseling are when there is a significant relationship disturbance, the marriage is really suffering, it's moving towards separation or divorce. I mean, counseling is a fantastic go-to in those cases. But for so many people, they'll feel like, ah, do I need that? Maybe they're where I was. I, You know, I've got this figured out. I don't think I need more. And so I always encourage that person, take the next step to educate yourself, to understand this area, understand what's going on in your brain and your soul and why there's such a draw for you. And, and as you understand more, I believe God will lead you then into what the next step is after that. So um, those are some of the things people can do to take next steps. And um, even listening to this program, I'm sure they're taking some of those next steps. So they should feel, uh, feel good about at least moving in the right direction on that front. Well, absolutely. And, you know, obviously you've been married how long now? Uh, we just passed our 20-year mark. 20-year mark, and you have four kids. And 
and you are working this program diligently, and, and certainly you are now um, executive director for Pure Desire Ministries. So it's something that not only did you learn from and grow from, but you ended up evolving into a leader for this program. Can you share with our listening audience how that happened? Yeah, certainly not not the game plan when we started out. I mean, I don't know what, you know, a young boy thinks, one day I'm going to grow up and lead a sexual recovery ministry, you know. Um, so I, I kind of say God had to lead us into it gently or I, I would have said no. Um, but when I, you know, I talked about us sharing our story with our church and the impact that had, I mean, almost immediately of starting groups for men and women and and just watching over and over men and women come in who are very shame-filled, um, very broken, often in very bad marriages, but no one in the church knew because they felt like they couldn't tell anyone. And they would walk through this group process and emerge healthier, better. I and mean, I'm not going to say perfect because we're still people in process, but clearly people that were changing and being renewed. And that just continued to spread through our church. And, and that led to opportunities to to tell others about our groups, um, to go to Pure Desires conferences a few times and get to be a guest speaker for them. And then in writing the book, they, uh, they actually published it for me, the first one, and so that created the deeper connection. And in 2015, our founder, Ted Roberts, uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and Ted is now in his mid-70s, and, and they knew that Ted couldn't lead the ministry forever, but when the Parkinson's diagnosis came through, it, it was evident they needed to fast forward that, that plan of succession and, and to say, how do we make sure Pure Desire grows and goes far beyond this legacy that Ted and Diane Roberts have started. And the board at that time uh, felt like I was the right choice and asked my wife and I to pray and consider that. And it was one of those moments where we just, there was a rightness to it, a sense of this is what God has been leading us towards. We, we felt like every time that we had shared our story, we had watched God use it. And, and I think that was his call into pure desire was him saying, just keep sharing your story and I'll use it. Keep sharing your story and I'll use it. And so it's really out of the brokenness of our story and then the hope and the beauty of redemption that I, I think God uses us and uses me to lead. And uh, all of, you know, all of my background is in pastoral ministry. So I'm, I'm not um, a business guy or an executive in the sense of leading a, a nonprofit, but in my pastoral background, I think God uses that for us to connect with people in churches and, and just to continue to expand, how can we help more people? And so uh, that was in 2016 that we, we left a church we loved and friends we loved and a community that we had no reason to leave other than that we felt this was God's call in our life. And we moved down here just outside of Portland uh, in Gresham to, to head up the ministry. And um, it's it's been quite a ride. I mean, there have been ups and downs, but we're really seeing God continue to work in and through pure desire and through our story and and to really build a great team here. Uh, Ted Roberts is still a, a great part of our team. He and his wife, Diane, do some counseling and uh, he meets with me as a mentor and a friend, uh, but they've done a wonderful job at handing the reins off to a team of us to say, it's it's your baby now. You know, we brought it up, but now it's in your hands. And so it's, it's exciting for me to see um, just how God keeps bringing the right people with the right gifts. And um, we, we hope that what's happening now is truly just the beginning, because as, as I'm sure you know and talk about the the magnitude of this problem of sexual brokenness and pornography and addiction in our culture is it's massive. It's, it's unbelievable. The, the scope of it, the amount of lives that are impacted. And um, I know there are ministries that are helping, but I always say, boy, the number of ministries working in this area compared to the size of the problem 
is only a drop in the bucket. And so we're always praying, God, mm-hmm. bring more, bring more influence, bring more ministries, because um, we're, we're still not anywhere near a saturation point that there's, there's so many people that are in that place. My wife and I were 10 years ago where we know we're stuck and we know we need help, but we don't know what help is available. And it feels like to bring it up is very shameful and, and no one really knows what to do. So you just keep quiet. And, and I hope that I'm a part of that message in people's lives to say, you don't have to suffer alone and you don't have to stay stuck because there's people that help. And there's a path that's been proven, and we're here to be a part of that with you. So that's, that's really my motive in, in leading Pure Desire these days. Well, I sure appreciate it. And i got to tell and remind my listening audience that I am talking with Nick Stumbo, and he, he can be reached through Pure Desire Ministries if you want to speak with him. And that's at their website, which is puredesire.org. And so as we end for today, Nick, is there anything else that you would like to convey to both the men and the women that listen to the show? I got to tell you, I 100% agree with you. This is epidemic and people don't even know because there's so much shame and silence that we don't know that it's happening in our own homes and next door and, you know, in our family and friends and colleagues' homes. I mean, it just is. And so your openness um, is really helping to make a difference. And I just want my listening audience to figure out how they can take those risks too. Because when I started this podcast, after about a year into it, I realized that 53% of the demographics were women. And they were women trying to figure out what their husband's story was and how this could have happened and who were they? And, you know, walking alongside coupleship is so, so very important. Now it's about 50-50. I've got 50% male sex addicts. I've got 50% partners. And, of course, we have some female folks, too. Um, any last words that you'd like to share with them? Well, I, I think I would just build off of what you're sharing there, Carol, that this entire area of struggle is not a respecter of gender, of age, of Mm -hmm. persons. And I I think every single man or woman I've talked to on this topic, there is a part of their story that they have become convinced makes them uniquely bad. Um, And that's even if they know that most of what they've done, yeah, I think everyone struggles, don't we all? But, But there's almost always a part of their story that the enemy has, has put in a very deep, dark place to say, but if they knew this, if they heard this part of it, if, if they were aware of this piece, you'd be rejected. And I think that's his primary tool to keep people enslaved and in isolation because of that fear of exposure that if this was known, I would be rejected. And what I find over and over is that when we face that, when we're willing to get on the outside, that piece that we're so fearful and have held on the inside, people don't run away, they lean in particularly when we're sharing in a safe, confidential group, when we're sharing with people that love us, it it causes them to lean in. And one of the most beautiful things that happens is when I start to open up about my story and share and seek help, it it becomes the catalyst or the domino effect for the other person that goes, really? Me too. And I thought I could never share that because if I did, and, and now suddenly they're engaged in the healing journey. And even as we're in our weakness and brokenness, 
uh, even if we're pursuing help, we can be helping other people simply because we're choosing vulnerability and it creates uh, a shift in other people's lives. And so that, that would maybe be my encouragement for every person listening as, as you lean into this story, as you lean into your own story, recognize that you are not alone. And that message uh, or that voice that says, don't share this, keep this in hiding, act the part, that's the voice of the enemy. And it's, it's our Heavenly Father's desire that we could be people that live in the light, that are completely known and loved. And when we're known and loved for who we are with secrets and all revealed, that's the kind of love that transforms us. Because until that happens, the love that we receive, we're always um, explaining it away. It's like, well, it's only because they don't really know me. <laughs> they don't really understand. They don't really, and if they knew, they'd reject. And so when we walk into the light and in safe places begin to deal with this and we can receive love for all that we are, you know, the good, the bad, and ugly, as I believe mm-hmm. God intended, that love transforms us. And so I just would invite people into a process of healing that will always involve other people. And yes, that's scary because other people have their issues too, and we wonder how they're going to react. But it's through healthy relationships that God brings healing into our lives. And so whatever it takes, find those communities. And I know, Carol, I'm sure you talk about many of them at Pure Desire. We offer those groups and would just love to be a part of someone's process of healing as, as they look to walk into the light and experience the kind of love that God designed each and every one of us for. So that, that would be my encouragement tonight. All right, Nick. Well, thank you so much again for sharing. Give Michelle my best. And I'll tell you what, you're a part of a fine organization, and I can see that they chose well and just keep up the good work. Appreciate you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on tonight. You're welcome. Take care. All right. That was Nick Sundo from Pure Desires. And as you can see, he's got quite the story. And I'm telling you, didn't I tell you at the beginning of the, the show? It's all about suffering and then the transformation that brings about giving back and making a difference. It can be you too someday. But right now, get healthy, healthy, healthy. Find fellowship, find support, work your recovery tools. And uh, at all times, fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol, the coach.